Hey guys, welcome to episode 23 of the JV Club. If you have read the description or looked at the photos that uh, come up on the Nerdist site, if that's the way into the podcast for you, then you know that this is a pretty unusual episode of the podcast. Um, it is a an interview with a dude, um, but it is uh, not quite that simple. And um, obviously, if you read the description or if you're about to listen to the episode, you will uh, hear more on that. But it's an episode I recorded several months ago, and I've been sitting on it for a little while because, you know, either there were some older episodes I needed to get out first or some newer episodes that came through that felt like they just needed to be released straight away for one reason or another. Um, And it's funny because sometimes I don't know why I hold stuff and why I put stuff out right away. But interestingly enough, I couldn't have known that I would end up taking this job or that this job would even exist at HuffPost Live, which is the new online streaming content um, part of the Huffington Post that is going to be launching on Monday. But everything happened as it did. And uh, interestingly, I was <laughs> I was able to do a segment on uh, transgender people, and that is now available to watch on the Huffington Post website. So I encourage you, if you're interested and if you want to see what my cousin looks like, I interviewed him with a couple of other people as part of this chat segment on HuffPost Live. And all you have to do to find it right now is go to the HuffingtonPost.com, HuffingtonPost.com. And if you want to search the keyword transgenderation, you will find my uh, segment and you can watch it online. Um, That's T-R-A-N-S-G-E-N-D-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. I suddenly felt like I was in a spelling bee for a made-up word that we created for this segment. Um, so yeah, if you want to check it out, uh, I'm super excited. I think the timing worked out. I just did the segment um this week. So it felt like, wow, well, now that I've done the segment, I should absolutely release the podcast episode and those two things can kind of feed nicely into each other. So that is that. Um, shout out wise, I've got a really long list and I think that it is missing some Twitter people, missing some Facebook people, missing some emails I got and missing some iTunes feedback. Uh, again, I don't want to make the list so endlessly long, but at the same time, I wish I could just personally call each and every one of you and thank you so much for the feedback. It's just continuing to brighten my life on a daily basis. Um, Jeremy, Curtis, Nika, Sarah P., Eric, Krista, Chase, Joanna, Chris B., John C., Betsy, Theo, Michelle, Jim, Rachel, Ben, Erica, Janelle, Robert, Coco, Rebecca, Ryan, Zoe, Alex, Russell, Alec, John in Germany, Greg L., Nick, Ariel, um, or Ariel, Moof, I was very excited to get to say the word Moof, Amanda, Wade, and Robert. Thank you guys so much. Um, And the last thing I'm going to say about this episode, by the way, you can probably tell from my voice, uh, I'm finally getting well. And thanks for the well-wishing, and thanks for telling me that nasal varney wasn't too annoying to um, many of you. The feedback from Cool Ops episode was divine. Um, And I don't want you guys to think that I'm just becoming like the didactic podcaster where everything has to be kind of heavy material, um... This particular episode is not terribly sad. Um, you know, it's not even that heavy, I don't think, even though we're talking about kind of a, a, a touchy subject for some people with, with transgender folks. Um, 
And there are plenty more goofy, silly episodes to come. So uh, the timing of this just worked out that Kulop and Julian are back to back and they're, you know, a little more complicated of subject matter. But um, rest assured, I'm still out there just giggling it up with the ladies as well. So um, I hope you enjoy this and uh, you guys are the best. Okay. Now entering Nerdist.com. say this since I started recording this podcast and I'm very excited to be able to say on a very special episode of the JV Club. Um, but it is a very special episode. It's it's special for a couple of different reasons. Um, one of them is that, uh, that, that I am podcasting for the first time a member of my own family, which I'm very, 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 very excited about. We live in different cities and uh, we don't get to see each other as much as we would both li- uh, like. I-, I was saying love and like at the same time, so I said live. Um, but uh, And the other really kind of extraordinary thing about this is that, as you guys know, um, I just... Uh, interview women and I'm interviewing a man today but um, the reason that we're doing this interview for for you all is that uh, Julian is a transgender man so when he was in high school technically he was a she although even that's arguable because I've known him my whole life and uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about his experience and and the hope is to kind of help educate you guys and maybe um you know, just acquaint you with, with, uh, put a, put a human face. Maybe you do know some people, maybe you don't, but, um, we might even have a few laughs because he's also incredibly funny and awesome. So, uh, welcome, 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 Julian. Thank you, Janet. And I'm very honored that you asked me to be here. I, I agree with what you said that, you know, it, it gives people a chance to get to know somebody a little bit who is transgendered. And um, I think it's a real interesting spin that you're having me on because my experience in high school, I was identifying as female, although I didn't feel that way. Um, I was socialized as such. So, yeah, I think it, it'll be a very interesting interview. <laughs> well, I don't and, and it doesn't have to be uh you know, nobody, I don't want to shy away from asking tough questions and I don't want you to feel like I have to put a light, light coating on it. But I also want to just say a couple of things up top about my memories of you when you were in high school, because you're 10 years older than I am. And I looked up to you and just thought you were the coolest in the world. And you had a waterbed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God! You were the only person I know that I knew who had a waterbed. I think it was my first experience ever, even like understanding what a waterbed was. And I remember that you had kiss posters. I think you had a kiss poster on your ceiling. Does that sound right? Uh, Am I crazy? Maybe that was Burt Reynolds in the Cosmopolitan magazine on the fur rug. (laughs) (laughs) That was on the ceiling. But yes, I did have. I can't believe I admitted that. Can you? Can we rewind? Did you really have? Did you really have Burt Reynolds? Well, I kind of wanted to be him. So, like, you know, under the guise of, oh, he's really cute. I love. I did that. I don't remember a Burt Reynolds poster, <laughs> but did you like Kiss? Am I just inventing? Oh, I did. All this? I okay. like Kiss, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, had all that stuff. In okay, the walls, yeah. you did. And I also remember that you chewed juicy fruit gum. 
I did. And, and now you guys understand what it's like to be a transgender man. Thanks for coming <laughs> in, Julian. That was great. I think we really informed the public. <laughs> we really lifted that the was veil. Great, great job. We really lifted yeah. the veil. Thank you. Um, well, you let's let's uh, thank you for putting up with my. Uh, I can't believe it was Burt Reynolds. I'm so excited yeah. that I. I wish I would have remembered that. I would. I. You know what? I would have spent the last like 20 years teasing you mercilessly if I had remembered that. Now I get to well, look forward I to the Well, I wish I never told you that yeah. the poster. Too bad. Um, why don't you tell us a little uh, about where you're from, where you were born, and raised? Okay. Well, I was. I'm. I. I was born in California in a place called Crenshaw, but my mom moved me to Phoenix, Arizona, when I was very young. So I feel like I'm a native of Phoenix. Um, I've spent all my life there. Um, family, of course, you lived in Tucson with, with your dad, my uncle Phil, my grandparents lived in Prescott. So I kind of spent time in all those places. Um, went to school, went to grade school and high school in Phoenix. Um, do you want me to get into? And did you, you went to grade school and high school in Phoenix and do you, and did we discuss whether you have any siblings? Uh, you. <laughs> I know. I, I just wanted to act like we just met, but, um. Yeah, we we are we are each other's siblings because neither yeah. of us have any brothers or sisters. But we spent uh, more time together when we were younger. I do I do have a stepsister um, who, uh, but my mom didn't marry her father till I was seventeen. So I really, you were the child I grew up with, and I feel like you are much more than just a cousin to me. I couldn't agree with that more. What? What? And your parents. Uh, split up when you were really little they did i was a baby so i didn't really have any contact with my father growing up and i guess we can just launch right into it i would love to know for you when you realized that you felt like something was amiss to just put it i mean just to put it very lightly but in terms of your gender and how you were perceived by the outside world versus how you felt in your own head and in your own body. You know, for me, the, the moment that I had an awareness of myself, I felt like a little boy and, you know, I didn't have words or dialogue for what this was. When you're a young child, you feel, you know who you are. It's when you start getting messages from society, like go to the girls line, you have to use a girls restroom. Those kind of things just didn't really click with me, but you know, everyone's telling you this. So you think, okay, but I felt that there was a way that I could, that this would change, that I would wake up. I used to pray that God would send the, the witch from Bugs Bunny with the pointy hat. <laughs> Seriously. I'm so serious about this. That was like our Saturday cartoons. And I saw her change a man into a frog or a lady into a rock. So I figured God could send her and she'd do that one thing and I would wake up and be a boy and I'd look under the, and I, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So I kind of gave up on that. I, um, so when did you, so you knew from a young age, I mean, I remember when I was in preschool, Sean, I shouldn't say his last name, but I really wanted to. A little boy pulled down his pants and showed me his penis, and I right. pulled down my pants, and we just looked at right. each other. And that was my first memory, since I didn't have siblings, right. of seeing somebody else's gear and understanding right. that it was different from mine. How did you, how early on, like, do you, can you remember the association of, like, of, of, of your private parts as a child being different and knowing that you, what you wanted or what felt like it was missing? 
That's really an interesting question because I've gone over that in my own head. You know, I am 46 years old now, so memories start to fade a little bit, specifics. But I know a couple of things that happened. My mom was, I first off, I have an amazing mother who's very loving and liberal and accepting of me. But when I was a little kid, she had a book, and I remember it was green and black, and it was a book about where babies come from and it showed a fetus. And I don't know if there were pictures of people's anatomy. It was very clinical. That's that's what I'm thinking. But this is a man. This is a woman. I didn't, I just really didn't relate anything with, with women in any way. And I don't know if that's was my first, um, vision or, or idea of, okay, this is what a man is. This is what a man has. I do remember I had the same kind of experience. There was a, a boy, we were by the pool and he asked me if I could tie his swimsuit bottom. So I pull him out to tie him and I see, oh my gosh, he has this. Yeah. And I don't know if it instinctively was something before I even saw one. It just always felt like something was missing for me. Mm-hmm. And that, and I have to state that not all trans men want to get that surgery or necessarily need a penis to feel more male. And I don't either. It's just something that's always been missing and something I want. So uh, there was that piece. And then there, I never wanted anything to do with girl games, girl clothes. Um, my gender expression was always that of a male. So it was really young when this started for me. It was. And I think that's, that's certainly consistently in your experience um, and be, be because you have mentored some other kids and because you're active right. in the community in Phoenix and also you've uh, sought out so much information and reading. Obviously, when you get to a point in your life, not to just jump really far ahead, but you get to a point in your life where that information is available to you and it's out in the open for you and for others, I know you just devoured as much information as you can get. And would right. you say that in large part a lot of young children feel that way that it's not that it seems to be that a lot of people identify very very early in their lives uh who later decide that they're trans like that it's not even really a later decision it's this right. has been a part of me for yes and it amazes me too that these kids are able to at that young of an age say no this is who I am and i asked a young man recently why I, we have the, our, our stories parallel so much. We've had the same feelings about who we are. Why were you able at five, six to tell your mom, no, I am a boy in this internet. They have access to others like them. I didn't know anybody was like me for years and years and years. So this was a big secret that I learned how to push down and I just adapted to make, we all want to fit in. We don't want to be ostracized. So what these youth have now is exposure. They know that there are others like them and that this is possible. This is possible to do that. It, it validates who they are. And so when you, we don't, you on the podcast, uh, everybody knows I kind of focus in on, on teenage years, um, as a, as kind of a jumping off point. And obviously I wanted to, to talk about your childhood, um, a little bit before we got there, and we can always jump back and forth and anything that, that occurs to you, please jump in. Sure. But let's use adolescence as a, as, as a way, as a means of getting in, just because that is a time for everyone, straight, gay, bi, trans, everybody's hormones are going crazy. Right. So how did that, I guess if you want to talk for a second about, um, 
or as long as you want about who you were kind of gravitating towards when you were uh, when you were little, but then also who you gravitated towards as you entered into high school and kind of what circles you felt most comfortable in and stuff like that. Are you meaning um, who I wanted to hang out with or who I was attracted to when you said? But, oh, both. Actually. Okay. Who 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 did you gravitate towards socially? That where like where could you feel most understood if you in fact could feel understood at all? Sure. You know, and then. And then, yeah, and then who, who did you want to kiss? Who did you want well, to smooch? first I want to say that and I, I think that it is so much easier um, if you are born female-bodied in, in how you express yourself, whether it's gender expression or sexual preference or any of that. So I have to say that I feel like I, I had an easier road than my transgender sisters did because I was allowed to – wear boys clothes, play boys games. It's called a tomboy. We have a name for it. It was a tomboy. Yeah. So I feel like um, I was allowed to express myself to a certain extent. So I hung out with the boys in the neighborhood. I hung out with um, little girls that wanted to play sports, the tomboys too. Never did I feel comfortable with the girls who wanted to play dolls or I thought it was the games girls had were really stupid. <laughs> I hope I'm not insulting anyone out there, but You're allowed for me, I just was like, you know, I don't want to jump rope with you guys at all. I'm going to go play baseball with these guys. You know, that's kind of who I gravitated toward. Um, and I feel blessed that at least it was a seventies, you know, I don't even know the word transgendered was out in the public. So at least I had the ability to, present masculinely to a certain point. There came a certain point where I had to actually kind of stop doing that a little bit. And who but, were you attracted to? Oh, girls. Were Always. You attracted to the girls who played the stupid game? No. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I put up with it a little bit. You know, I I would, um, you know, just to be around them or, or you know, to, to be in their space. But I really, like, wanted nothing to do with their uh, – how boring. Like, play house, would you – okay. <laughs> would we stare at each other? and Or I'd be the dad, you know what I mean? Someone has to be the dad, I'll do it. But, yeah, I was definitely attracted to the very feminine um, girl. And, you know, I'd – I I knew at this point, you know, now I'm in maybe third, fourth, fifth grade, and I knew that this this wanting to be a boy was just that. All, that's all I could do was want. So my imagination started to expand a bit, and I was in love with a girl, and I'm not going to say her name because <laughs> if she listens to this, I don't want to freak her out. But from I swear to you, from third grade until seventh grade, and I go to her house every day after after school. And we had a, a wash, and I built a fort, and I pretended we were going to be married. And I would never say this to her, but in my mind, when we were in that little fort that I built, I had built our home, and I would marry her one day. And I was the husband, and she was the wife. Um, so I, I was always attracted to women, but I was going to be the, the, the man. You know what I mean? But yeah, this went on for years. I really. And did she let you kiss her and stuff? Okay, well, I was kind of manipulative, and she had a brother and a sister. Her sister was pretty, too. So I made up this game that whoever you find in the dark, you get to kiss. So I made sure I knew where the brother was, and I stayed away from that area. Oh, that's so so that's the only way, but I would never, ever, um, I've never told her that I liked her or how I felt. Never to this day. She. It's interesting because I, when I was... Before I was an adolescent, before I was a teenager, I I made out with so many little girls, and I think it was wow. so. I maybe I'm completely wrong, and maybe I will get teased mercilessly or worse for admitting that. But I, 
going back to what you were saying about it just being easier for girls and they can kind of get away with more in terms of right. how they're expressing themselves or what they're experimenting with and that we're taught societally that it's okay to that it's okay as a woman to really talk about your feelings or you know what have you i guess i got the sense that before adolescence little girls were just kissing each other and kissing boys and figuring it all out and it was just like playing boyfriend girlfriend or playing doctor like there there right. was sort of a gender blur as children because there's just this sort of general curiosity about sexuality and then and then when you become an adolescent it started to seem like it got more more and more pigeonholed about like no these boys like other boys these girls like girls these girls wow. like boys um so it's interesting to me that you had this experience with this girl that you know you, you kind of got to do what I was doing, but there was so much more weight attached to it right. for you because it was really about identity. It was, but also, too, that was 10 years before you had your experiences. You're so right. And it was, you know, I think I heard the word fag in school, but I didn't know it meant a gay person. It was an insult thrown at an, a boy to another boy. Mm. Or, I mean, they were still, still even using insults like they would call a, a, another boy a woman. That was an insult they used when I was growing up. So our uh, the, the the whole gay experience was becoming a little more visible when you were in high school. It was it was seen a little bit more. But her, but even not that much, right. In some ways, but right. yeah, no. But you're absolutely right. And I think you know we talked on the podcast before about gravitating towards groups like theater groups and places, right. and and even in the kind of when in my early years in high school, going to like gothy kind of punk clubs and stuff it was like really okay to be gay there and right would kiss there but you wouldn't see that in the halls of my high school by any sure of the imagination um so what so you so you played sports in i high did school. i did and were there other girls in the kind of tomboy world who then started identifying as lesbians were they were not they in high school okay. not in high school in fact i had a best friend growing up from age 10 until gosh Really, until I started this transition, we are no longer speaking. But um, growing up, um, she she's gay. And um, she told me later on, now we're in college, that she knew this about herself, but said I would not deal with it until I got into college. So there was nobody I knew who was actively acting out on their lesbian feelings, their attractions to other women. Um, it was basically get through high school, Play sports, find things that you like, enjoy your friends, and don't do anything until you get out of high school. And it sounds to me like you were never, ever going to put yourself in the camp of, I guess I'll just go out with this guy. No, actually, I did. Oh, God, it was horrible. I tried, and it was the most... uh, Think of, like... Your dad, my uncle, like going, all right, I suppose I should just try going out with this guy. Ooh, it just doesn't work. And for me, I I lived in a society where I felt like you hear messages like, well, maybe you haven't met the right man or maybe you. All right. Well, you know, I went out on a couple dates and they were just awkward. And I have to wonder, were those guys gay? Because I was so masculine in my presentation. Maybe this was an easy way for them to kind of be with a guy, but not. I think that's a great question. Maybe we used each other. I don't know. That happens a lot. I think that still happens. I don't know. But never like a relationship with a guy. It was always, um, oh, gosh, I feel like I should at least try and sleep with him. And then 
I swear to you, it was the same thing. I was get off me. And I just like pick them up and <laughs> I would seriously like, no, get off me. We're yeah. done. I could never like follow through with it or it did. The date I went on was so awkward and uncomfortable. It was almost something like I felt like I had to try yeah. and it just never worked. I can't imagine adding that pressure and that discomfort and the recognition that it just ain't right. Right. On top of everything else. What was the rest? Let's let's pull. I mean, it, you can't. You can't pull gender out of it because it was so close. It's so closely tied to who we are. Right. And how we experience every single day of our lives. So I'm, it's silly for me to say let's pull out of that for a second. But what was the rest of your teenagerhood like? You said you love Burt Reynolds. I, you know what I did? I think I, I would always like find, you know, the, the girls around me. Oh, I think, um, this guy's really, you know, celebrities, this guy's really hot. This guy's really hot. Well, I would have to pick somebody. So it was always somebody I'd want to be like, oh my God, I totally wanted to be Burt Reynolds. He got all the girls. He had that cool mustache. He had flashy cars. So really for me, that was it. But you know, I really have to say, Janet, that I had an amazing childhood. I loved my high school experience. Um, I think for me, it was just about, like I said earlier, adapting, being safe. There were certain things I just didn't talk about, but I was a good athlete. I had a great group of friends. Were you a good um, student? Oh, I was an amazing. No, I'm I'm lying. I was a horrible student. I mean, of course, right? I do remember knowing. Yeah, you were. You, I remember you even as a teenager being like, "Don't be like me." I, I kind (laughs) of hate scholastics, and I was like, "Oh, my dad is a teacher. I am. uh, That won't be a problem for me." Well, my poor mother was a teacher too, and I was super excited if I got a C. Like, mom, look at my grade. This is awesome. I passed. Uh, You know, so I, you know, and I think it was just. There were so many other things that were way more important to me than school. I had course or um, uh, subjects that I really I loved history. I loved uh, man and society. I think it was like a sociology type class in high school. I loved those things, but um, you know, I was just more interested in sports. And did you, you know. have a car pretty much right after you got your license, or did you? You know what? I drove my mom's Maverick with a green vinyl top. It was really awesome. It was really a chick magnet, and I had to fight them off. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And you, and we also, I guess I should say, in terms of our family life, we had a, we really did have an extraordinary family full of very cool, funny, weird, great people that were kind of an extended family, like that we thought of as kind of aunts and uncles in a really good way. We did. I never feel, I know that I was never shamed for any way that I expressed myself. Um, My family every day. Since I've been born, I've been told I'm loved or felt that I'm loved by our family. So I feel very, um, I feel very blessed and I can't imagine having any other childhood, Yeah, you know? Did you, so you, so you weren't crazy about, uh, overall you weren't crazy about necessarily school and grades and stuff. And so was there an expectation about college? You know, my mom wanted me, of course, you know, for my own benefit, she really promoted college as something that would be beneficial for my future and um, really tried to find out what, 
what it would be that I would like to do. And funny enough, she thought, I can't, I'm going to be a social worker because I think it'd be cool to work with people. And she said, I will support you 100%, but just let me tell you, it's going to be really hard and I'll tell you why. You're going to see a lot of really hard things and you're not going to be paid a lot of money, but I'll support you. But what I think you'd really be good at is physical therapy. So of course now I'm 46 and I think that would be something that I really would like to do to be a PT assistant, but um, never do I feel that I was pushed. My mom kind of let me make my own decisions, gave her input, and that was it. And so what was, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm asking is, did you, did you experiment with like drinking and drugs as many of us did, <laughs> guilty as charged in right. the, uh, high school? I did. I did. I, I partied a lot in high school. Um, you know, I, I it was mainly on the weekends. Um, like I said, I was a good athlete, and sports were really important to me. You kind of can't party that much. Right. I guess you can. You know, we'd smoke a little pot sometimes between classes, but I never really ditched or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I kept it to the weekends and did drink excessively a few times, you know, kind of like kids do. They're experimenting. But um, by the time I got to college... Um, I really like went crazy with it and I am a recovering drug addict alcoholic. So I really like had a lot of hard years where with was, the drugs where and alcohol. Were you in, what, what was college? Uh, I went to uh, Glendale community very briefly and I just got some little small scholarships. So I thought, okay, you know, and I think it was part of the divorce decree that my dad was to pay for college. So I think that I did you know, one year and then another half semester. And then I spent the money. I thought it was mine. So I got this really angry call. Like, why aren't you going to school? Uh, well, I didn't know dad (laughs) money's gone, but so, yeah, I mean, I thought about everything but school when I was there at college, what party is going on? What, you know, I want to get back to that, but it just occurred to me. I, sometimes I try to think about what questions I would ask if I were listening to this and Sometimes I get so locked up into what's going on that I forget to think like, oh, actually, maybe I should have asked this or maybe the listener will be wondering this. And when you just said that about your dad and the divorce decree, I I realized I wanted to just I think there might be people out there. I'm assuming there are people out there uh, who when they start characterizing gender identity are looking for societal and environmental causes rather than what you said early on in the podcast, which is that you knew it nothing, you know, you knew, you knew, like, you know, it's not a matter of, Oh, but I have people said like, Oh, did you not have a father figure when you, you know what I mean? And I'm just wondering if I, I guess I want to ask that question. I know the answer because I know your relationship with my dad, but I'll let you answer it. So yeah, Julian, is it possible (laughs) that you just didn't have a great dad and your mom was single for so long that that's why you identified as a man? I mean, even hearing myself right. say it, it's like, that's ridiculous. But yeah, no, I don't agree with that. And I've heard that theory. And, you know, you hear it about, too, that lesbians were molested. And, you know, and the statistically, one in three girls are molested. So there's not one in three lesbians out there. So I think it's kind of along the same lines. And I have to tell you, I had amazing father figures in my life. I, I could never have asked for better father figures. Your father, my uncle, um, my grandfather, uh, my uncle Don, my uncle George, and and these my uncle Don and uncle George were not actual uncles, but I I gave them that title because I felt like they were closer to me than extended family. Yeah. So I had these amazing men in my life, gentle, kind, treated women very well. I I couldn't have been given better examples of what it is to be a man. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that yeah. out there, guys, in case <laughs> in case you know you guys had a 
a natural and I don't mean to criticize that question because I think as you're as you're becoming more educated or maybe some of you already are very educated on the subject um, I'm just trying to think of some of the, the questions that that come up and that get raised for people so can you describe kind of when you started going crazy with uh, with drinking and with drugs and if you feel like some of that was tied to Mm-hmm. What you were going through that was different than some, you know. Obviously, there are addicts who are come from all walks of life. Right. But what was your what was your experience like? Well, I, like I said, it really kind of took hold. In um, I remember the first time that I I drank for reasons other than enjoyment was in my first year of college, and I was on a softball team. Okay, a lot of things were going on. First, um, my best friend, who was kind of my lifeline a little bit. Went to a whole different college. And your best friend had no idea. You never said, sometimes I feel like I'm a guy. And oh, God, no. No. Okay, first off, now I'm entering the lesbian community. And especially back then, you, the last thing you want to say is, hey, guys, I'm really glad to be a part of your community. Thanks for welcoming me. But I wish I had a penis. I wish I was a guy. You just, I knew instinctively, I, there is no way I can talk about it. And I finally found a group to belong to. So, um, you know, the drinking and stuff, going to gay bars, I think in Phoenix, we had three lesbian bars. That was it. And the community was so small, but you go out there and what do you do? You drink, there's drugs. Um, there was no other thing to do unless you went to a house party, but it's a house party and there's more drugs and more alcohol. So it really kicked in then. And I have to say too, that my addiction and, um, my alcoholism is not due to the fact that I'm transgendered. I do believe that I have a disease. It, it was my way of coping with life. I think that was my biggest roadblock is now I'm in college. I'm on my own and the world scared the crap out of me. Like, I don't know how to do this. I want to be a little kid again. And so it was my coping mechanism to drink and use drugs and alcohol. I thought it made me like a really good dancer and made me like really attractive and, you know, all those lies, you know, it helped me deal with life better, but that's not what happened. And so when did you leave school? Uh, I think I, I went for, I played a season of softball, season of basketball. Look, I'm, 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 I'm relating how long I was in school by the sports I played. Not even, I don't even know what I took, but yeah, I, I did. I think it was about a year and then I maybe took a semester off and went back for another, um, season of softball and then I was done. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so what came next? You know, just I, I got into the workforce. I got into pretty male-dominated fields right away. My first job was with a, a place called J.B. Rogers Pipe Manufacturing Company. <laughs> and basically, my real important job was I was sanding down fiberglass pipes. So I had little part- particles of glass in my skin every night. Um, you know, they had a layoff. And then I got into roofing. I did roofing for a couple different roofing companies. Um, oh, my God. I did professional wrestling for a little bit that's the only one that i really know about. that I don't was remember, just remember i don't remember right. the i mean i wouldn't i don't remember fi- fiberglass piping yeah it was just roofing. a you know a menial job whatever i could get my poor mother i tell my mom she's like trying to do a budget with me and i'm like you know what mom she goes how much do you have for food and i said ten dollars she goes for a month Mom, $10 is fine. As long as I have a pack, carton of cigarettes oh. and I can buy a six pack of beer, I'm fine. I mean, really, I was a mess. I was just a hot mess. So yeah, I did these little menial jobs and ran into a guy at some point in the gym who uh, 
told me he was training some girls for professional wrestling. So I did that for a little bit. That was crazy. What attracted to you? What attracted you about that? Was it the was it like the fitness side of it? Was it the physique? Was it the do you, I mean, if you even know. No, it was because he was a smooth talker and I was going to be really famous and make lots of money. We even went car shopping for real fancy cars. I just bought into it. I didn't I I I didn't want to deal with reality. Like getting a job, doing really simple things scared the crap out of me. So, here's a guy who's going to like get me into this fantasy world. And, you know, it was an interesting experience. I went to Korea and, and did it and, and I got out of it, but I was really lost. You know, I didn't have any direction. And so what, who, we know that in high school you went out on one to two dates with dudes and it was just actually, that was after high school. So when I was in college, was high school, I didn't date anyone. Nothing. No, nothing. Um, Mm-mm. and college, a couple of attempts. Right. And then you found the lesbian community, the tiny lesbian community. Right. Um, so when did you start having sexual experiences as a non-child? I was, I think that I was 18. You know, I went to the bar and um, I just figured I have never had sex with a woman before. So the first one that asked me to go home, I'm going to like take charts and graphs and figure out how this is done because I don't want to make an idiot of myself. So I did that. I just went home with this girl, um, you know, and there is like no specific thing to do to every girl. So, but you know, I, I went home with her and, um, I don't know. And the first girlfriend I got, I didn't even like her. I just got with her because I was so hopeful that you were going to no. say, oh, it just felt so great to actually be able to express any no. part of myself in that way. And even, but that ended up sort of being, it did. It just had to do with low self-esteem, not being comfortable with myself. And, you know, by the time I got on the basketball team, now we're in basketball season. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is really when I started like hanging out with these, these girls that went out to bars and, you know, they didn't even know I was gay. You remember what I look like way gay looking, but it was so scary that someone might find out that I had to actually see them in a bar for them to go, okay, you're okay. But now everyone on the team had a girlfriend and I didn't. So I just picked some girl who said, okay, I'll be your girlfriend. (laughs) And you know what I mean? I feel like I kind of went through those things that kids do in sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, I'm doing this now in 18, 19, 20. Yeah. So. So when was the first time that you were able to like have real emotional or sexual feelings towards a girl that you could express and kind of celebrate? Wow. That's a really interesting question. I think honestly that I would have to say not until I met my wife at 39. I would. So you have I don't. People, I think that when you. Because I know a couple of women that you dated, you know. Right. You definitely had relationships, but. Lisa, she was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. You know what I mean? I think one unhealthy relationship after another. And you've got to remember, too, I was, I was feeling male and, and presenting myself to these lesbians Who as another woman. And it just wasn't clicking for me. So when you're not living authentically, how can you expect to give yourself to someone else authentically? So it just um, was a frustrating journey, those relationships for me. Do you mind if I ask what drugs? Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, really, methamphetamine was the first one that really took me down. I discovered that at 19. I thought it was a line of cocaine, and I had done that before. It was okay. But I did this stuff, and immediately I was like, wow, this is what's been missing in my life. 
And so I, you know, I, I think for me, meth lasted about a year at a time and I'd have to quit. So twice I, I did meth for about a year and, um, the first, and then I met a girl and she became my methamphetamine. I quit the meth and she became my drug and uh, I quit for four years and, you know, it, it was alcohol as well. And later in life became opiates, Oxycontin, Percocets. And I should, I guess maybe we should point out that you got injured, right? I mean, you, you're, you, you got physically hurt at a certain point. Oh yeah, that that's right. You know, uh, in my late thirties, I went to a punk rock bar. I was dating a girl. Um, I was her first lesbian relationship and this was her life before we got together. And I said, yeah, let's go. And, you know, I was drinking and I, I don't know what I was saying in the bar. I was probably saying stupid stuff and a girl had punched my girlfriend in the face and I went to defend her and I got jumped by 10 guys and was called lesbian dyke, you know, and I really hesitate to call that a hate crime because I don't feel like they sought me out. I think it was say whatever you can to be insulting while you're beating the shit out of someone. And they were an angry group of people. So, you know, I, I think that, yes, I was targeted a little bit because I was different and they used that to do name calling. But yeah, that was, that was a pretty messed up scene. Yeah. What did your mom know about all of this when it was going on? And for that matter, my dad, uh, which part of the drugs, um, all of it. Like when did when did you say to your mom, "I like girls"? Oh my God, it's so interesting you asked me that question because my mom and I were—I think we were on our way to Prescott. I was nineteen, and I had a friend who was encouraging me. You know, you need to let your mom know. You need to let your family know. And I thought, okay, I've got her in a car for two hours. We're going to Prescott. You are going to be there. And um, I, I told her, you know, I'm gay and. Um, I think that my fear was that I was going to see you and now my mom knows this and she might tell your dad was that I would be some looked at as like I was going to influence you or that I was, this is a horrible thing. This was like in the early eighties, mid eighties. And I've heard rumors that we were predators, that we were, monsters and I'm telling my mom this but I have this beautiful relationship with you and I was afraid that they weren't going to want me to be around you you know and I never um but that's not what the I'm totally crying you guys sorry right. but um that's not what they that was not the reaction that you got what you were worried about wasn't right the that happened. I feel say? like I I you know because we were going to sleep Grammy and Grandpa had these two twin beds that were pushed together and me you were going to sleep in that room and I feel like in my mind, and I'm sure my mom didn't say this, but something about the sleeping arrangements. And I know she didn't say that because we did sleep in that room. Oh, yeah. I never, I was, I remember like, right. I remember the feeling of the crack in the bed. Right. Of like the, like worrying that I was going to fall and push the beds apart and all, but when we were lying next to each other. Right. I know we got to sleep together. But. I do. And I see, I think I had so much, um, suppressed shame and, um, horrible feelings about myself that I, you know, heard things that my, our family would never say anything like that. But it's interesting because that night you talked to me, you, you like, you were 10 years old and you were so articulate and you had, you were so mature. And I remember you telling me like some really deep thoughts you had about something going on in your life. And I, that whole trip was very significant to me, you know, here, 
you know, I always, I sometimes I felt like you were older than me because here you are at 10 and I'm 20 and I'm like looking at you. I think my chin was on the ground. Like you're so perceptive to what these adults in your life are doing, you know? Well, in fairness, we were old, only children, so right. we were used to being around grownups. So maybe right. we just got comfortable with stuff like that in a different way. Um, and my, especially my dad was just so expressive to me. You know, it was that difference between maybe parents who don't necessarily talk to their children as though they're bright for some reason because they're right. younger. And, and you know, my dad, he's just so, he's just so, uh, he just assumes that people are really smart and he right. will treat them that way. And and, they'll, <laughs> and then they respond in kind. And so I think, I, I think I was really lucky because he, he just assumed I would get stuff, you know, not in a way where he was like forcing anything I wasn't ready for in terms of like, now you have to read Shakespeare cause you're this old or no. whatever. But, um, you know, you just get so used to being around, around grownups, but, um, I just was going to say, I never, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people who have, um, who have at that time gay, you know, as we, as, as it was presenting itself then, sure. because that's all you could do is gay. Uh, I never thought of you one way or the other as I think children, they kind of just do whatever they just they they adjust to whatever other people tell them is true or they figure it out on their own or they see i mean little kids know the diff you know kids pick stuff up everywhere I guess I'm probably going to erase all of that because I just didn't say anything articulate after you just finished saying like you were so articulate, but I just never thought yeah. of you as straight or gay. I just thought of you as you at the time your name was Julie. But that's just the name that you were called. It's not like, you know what I mean? I just never thought of you as, oh, Ju Julie's this or Julie's that or Julie doesn't like boys. That's weird. It just right. never, I don't ever remember, I don't ever remember a discovery of your sexuality. I just, huh. it was like, and you had, and then you had girlfriends, you lived with a girl and I just, that's all I ever understood to be true about you. So I don't have any memory of, I mean, maybe you do, but I don't have any memory of Julie is gay. Julie <sighs> likes girls. Yeah, I don't. It, it definitely was something. I didn't even want to tell my mom. I didn't want to tell anyone. I I just wanted, it, she had to know at some point. So I never, you know, of course, what we were talking about earlier, I didn't want to tell you. I didn't, um, it was just something I, it was hard to talk about back then. So I don't know if I knew you knew. Um, you know, first off kids, I don't think really care about sex or what the sex or sexual preferences of anyone. They care that you love them. They care that you care about what they're doing, that you're interested in who they are. That's what kids care about. It's the adults that put the messages in the kids' heads that, oh, that's horrible. Or you should be afraid of that. Yeah. Or, you know. So, and was it hard coming out? with one part of who you were and knowing that that was, you could say that, that you, you had made the decision to take the step of saying, all right, I'm going to tell her that I'm yeah. gay, but also, okay, that's sort of what I am. Right. You, you know what? You have to remember that at that point, there was no word that I knew of for who I was. There was a trans woman named Renee Richards, who was a tennis player and born biologically male, transitioning to female, and there was this big hoopla, and this was when I was in high school, that she still wanted to play tennis as a woman. So that's what I saw was a transgender person. And I didn't identify with that. I didn't know of any transgender men. So for me, 
um, this was uh, something about myself that I just pushed down and pushed down, and I don't even know what to talk about it. I know how I feel, but this this lesbian thing, there's others like me who have the same body as me and like women, and and this is who That'll I am do. for yeah. now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll take care of this part for for the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so when and did my dad, I guess, found out. I don't know. Shortly thereafter, I don't. You know what? He he must have talked to my mom because I don't think that I ever had that conversation with your dad until later. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. And so let's let's jump ahead to you are now kind of about to hit bottom, right? right? I mean, you were you talk you talk about you started using drugs and alcohol abusively in college and in your early twenties, how, but that you would quit for periods of time. And then when did, what would you say your bottom was? Or did you have multiple? You know what I did? I had multiple bottoms. I mean, I didn't get sober. When did you get physically sick? When did you have, because you, you also had problems with your organs. I did. Oh no. Tell anything is open. You could talk about anything. Don't worry. But there is a little bit of an order to this stuff. Um, I discovered bodybuilding in my 30s. I had started lifting when I was 15. My body was changing and there was nothing I can do about it. So I found a few things. Lifting weights. I started. I did marathon running, biathlons. Um, it really didn't change my shape. It kind of shrunk it a little bit. So when I was in my early 30s, I discovered um, testosterone. And I started bodybuilding, and I was very successful. I had a pretty successful career in that, and I had fun. But I have to tell you, my main reason for continuing with that was an excuse to be on testosterone. I'd look in the mirror, and finally, for the first time in my life, I saw the body that I felt like I should have. So now I was using, during this time, um, I developed a kidney disease, and it wasn't from the testosterone. I was, I was an IV drug user, and I was doing that daily, what hourly you, toward the end. What was, what was it? What were in the vials? It was, it was an odd substance. I don't know if anybody will ever heard, hear of this, but one was called Nubane, and one was called Temagesic. They were kind of sister drugs. Mm-hmm. They're agonist, antagonist, opiates. So it's something you may get in a hospital. It's like Oxycontin. It's like Demerol, uh-huh. the effect of it. Okay. Um, so I had been doing that, gosh, a couple years daily. And then uh, I developed a kidney disease. I, I was shutting my kidneys down with drugs. Let's mm. just say what it is. Mm. Close so, up shop. Right. Up Not shop. a kidney disease. You don't have a disease. <laughs> you are killing your, you're killing yourself. You're shutting your kidneys down. So um, I quit doing testosterone. And in this time that I was sick, I was probably sick for a good two years. I was in bed re- recovering, trying to recover from this. And in that time, I saw a documentary called You Don't Know Dick. And for the first time in my life, I saw these transgender guys. They were educated, well-educated. They were grounded. They were well-spoken. They were regular guys. And I just, it scared the shit out of me. And, I, and at the same time, I related with everything they said. So going back to hearing what people might have said, but they really didn't, I remember saying, Mom, there's this cool documentary on transgender guys. You want to watch it with me? No, I'm busy. And sh- she stops me and says, well, you're not like that, are you? Oh, no, no, no. This is just some fascinating stuff. I'm wondering if you want to watch it with me. So at the end of it, I said, Mom, I really related with a lot of what those guys said. And then I heard her say, you told me you weren't like that. And I was like, well, I'm not. I'm just saying. 
Just saying. And this so, is happening when you're living at home yeah. with her while you're right. ill. And right. that creates a whole different dynamic between right. a mother and a child right. as well in terms of you being an adult and you yeah. know, the love the love that the parent has versus the frustration I'm sure the parent feels about why can't I just make my kid healthy and right. mentally, emotionally, and physically. I, I think it was the most traumatic thing that my mom ever went through with me. And then you were talking about dialysis, um, to see your child go through that. So, you know, Although I... you might never have seen that documentary. So I guess what we're saying is... Right. The failure was great. That right. Was totally right. It was excellent. I would recommend <laughs> totally that sarcastic. for anyone struggling with... No, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, and then I saw another one right after that um, called Southern Comfort. And it was kind of a sad story. But again, you know, the main thing for me is I finally saw guys that were like me. Oh. Um, so... You know, I mean, fast. I'm taking a huge breath of relief and like just right. finding, I'm like wanting to roll my neck, just imagining right. this microcosmic version of what it must have been like to see that and to feel like, whoa. You know, I have to say though that this, there was so much shame by this time surrounding this issue about me. It's great that I saw them on TV, but I had never met them. And what am I supposed to do with this information now? So it was also really scary. Yeah. So it took sense. me three more years because I was I was still I I hate that this was going on, but I was still abusing drugs. I was given OxyContin to help me with my pain with the kidney disease. You know this whole cycle. The slippery slope. So, right. It's so, it's so tricky. I mean, I right. really addicts who have who had the painkiller addiction, and I know that you've gone through this since. Right. To, not know how to manage pain or to, to ask the question, I have a serious physical ailment. I'm in recovery. What do I do about pain? Right. That's a, that's so tough. Well, you know, and at this point I really had not made any effort at yeah, getting so, sober or, so or learning time, about like, the 12 steps. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, let's fast forward now it's 2005 and that's when I feel I really hit bottom even more than shutting my kidneys down where emotionally, spiritually, Everything, I was just bankrupt. My girlfriend was leaving. I was being evicted. And at that point, I just was like, for me, I had no more answers. There was no, no more game left in me. No more, I have a great idea of how to get out of this. I was empty and I was done. So I went down to, uh, it was actually a local LGBT meeting hall. And um, my life has changed in ways I never would have imagined. But once I started doing those steps, there's, there's one step where you write down your resentments and, um, this issue, this transgender issue was all over that paper. Mm -hmm. They told me to be thorough and honest and fearless. And I was, I was so afraid that I, if I go out again, I'm going to die. So I wrote all this down. And when I saw it with a clear mind, I said, and I had so many fears about making this journey. Um, None of them were big enough to make me not look at this. I couldn't. I, I thought I'd walk the rest of my life through this world alone. I thought there's a possibility that you guys might freak out. I thought my friends are going to just, they've probably had it already. This is going to be the final thing. But with all that on my shoulders, I thought, you know what? I have to do this. I have to do it. I cannot live my life one more second to make other people comfortable. So it began, and you know what I have to tell you? We were kind of talking a little bit earlier. I've had a very easy road. None of those fears materialized. I have a dear friend that no longer talks to me, and that, that hurts, and there's an emptiness in my heart that no one else can fill. But for the most part, even strangers have embraced me. 
it's just been really a fulfilling, amazing journey for me. And giving back to my community is probably the biggest joy I have in my life. So what, so you got sober and you acknowledged this to yourself and you did, in fact, of course, um, tell us, your family, and I will take the credit (laughs) on behalf of the family because I obviously am a product of uh, how I was raised, so it has nothing to do with who I am as as a person, but... Um, but we all just, I mean, I guess I could speak for, uh, for, for my aunt, uh, Jillian's mom and my dad, when I say that when each one of us were told we were, we were all just like, Oh, that totally makes sense. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my God. Does this mean this is part of your healing process? And does this mean that you can live an authentic life? And, and, and and the answer was yes. And, you know, we were like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think that, you know, I, I've been in support groups and kind of seeing if I could be there for some guys that are just starting out. And some of the stories I hear from families, I just shake my head like, how could you ever say those things to your child or your sister or your brother or your nephew or your niece? And I just, um, I couldn't have asked for, <laughs> created a better response for my family. I am so blessed to have the family that I do. Like I said, I've always felt loved every day of my life because of my family. So, and you were, and you found yourself in a place where you, you know, you touched on it a moment ago, but where you met someone. I did. Yeah. And you were of sound mind and body and were able to really cherish that and grow that relationship in a really healthy way. And do you want to talk about that? I do. You know, that was, that was another one of my fears that I, you know, I just started dating this girl. I'm sober and, you know, we're dating for maybe four months and I'm looking at this stuff. So I thought, okay, I get it. You know, this is not what she signed up for. So I had to talk with her and I said, you know, I have just got done with my four step. And I said, Um, I have to tell you that I feel male and I need to pursue whatever resources or do whatever I have to do to make this happen and to live my, the rest of my life as, uh, as a male. And I expected her to say, you know, you're right. I just, I can't do this. And the first things out of her mouth were, okay, well, what do we need to do next? So today we are married next month will be four years. We've been together seven, um, and what an amazing bond we had because she walked through this with me. We didn't know what to do. We kind of f- figured it out together. So um, I just, I, I can't believe how many blessings I have in my life. Well, talk you know? a little bit about the ways in which you are of service to others because I know that is such, a, such an important part of your life now. It is. Um, you know, I, I started going to this gender conference in Seattle. I have a, a friend who lives there who's a doctor in our community. And, and when I told her I was doing this, she's like, you've got to come to Seattle. So that year I, I'm, I met a girl and I said, well, why, how come you're coming here? She goes, for my brother. I want you to come meet him. And I'm thinking I'm going to meet her big brother, you know, and, and, I, and I see this eight-year-old across from me and I saw myself. I saw myself at eight. I, it was just such a profound experience. And that, that little boy like started a spark inside of me to work with youth. Because what I saw is that he's got some opportunities that I didn't have when I was his age, but he's also got some challenges connected with that. I'm so. going to ask for, for clarification just in case there are listeners who aren't sure. uh, clear. 
were you meeting a girl identifying as a boy who was going to go through the process, a boy who was identifying as a girl, or someone who okay, was already sure. transitioned? The, the little girl I met was a biologically born female, and her little brother was just like me. He was born with a female body but never felt comfortable with that. So got he it. was transitioning to male at eight years old. Amazing. So I got to have an amazing talk with his mother. And um, I just I went locally to see in Phoenix when I got back. What can I do? I went to Glisten, which is an organization that goes into schools and helps them to, um, to stop discrimination for the youth. I went to P Flag to see if there was any. You know, finally I found this organization called One in Ten, and it's just amazing. It's an LGBT youth organization, and, and it's expanded now. But when I started there, it was every Thursday the kids could come, the youth could come, and um, we'd have. Uh, dance lessons or we'd have uh, uh, skits that they could do or workshops or anything. And what it mainly was doing was promoting them and validating them for who they are. For one week a month or one day a week, they could come and be who they were without risk of being bullied, teased, or told that they were bad. Uh, so I really, I loved it, but I wanted to be the trans adult there and it took a while for them to realize I was trans that actually the testosterone has worked very effectively for me. And, um, so I've just, I've really gotten to know a lot of great kids. Um, I'm not able to do the weekly thing anymore, but I do do gay camp every year. And last year we had about 16 trans youth and I was over the moon, happy and excited because I see these kids and they're just like me. And we share that experience. I'm a 46 year old guy, but yet we have this thing in common. It's really cool. And I also do panels. I've done several community colleges. Um, I work for part-time for uh, Stonewall Institute, which is counseling service in Phoenix. And we do diversity training for behavioral health professionals. So, I mean, there's just, there's so much to be done. And, and I think the biggest thing that will help our community is dispelling myths that are out there. And I think we do that by education. So I will answer any question. I will, you know, avail- be available to anyone that I can help with that issue. So... Ugh. I just got, I'm just speechless. Um, I'm just, I'm so, I'm just really proud. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to add to that. I, I just, uh, I'm so glad that you did the podcast. And um, I certainly, you know, I've said this on other podcasts. I, I, we welcome your questions and your comments and you can um, post them somewhere. You can email me at Janet at JanetVarney.com off my website. Um, I would say you can post something on the, on the Nerdist website if you would like uh, to. And when Julian will absolutely um, read and respond whenever possible. And um, thank you so much for, doing this i'm super emotional <laughs> thank you for having me this is really special for me to do this with you um all right guys i guess we'll <laughs> just uh we'll see you next time on the pod i feel like i'm forgetting there's so much that we covered but i still feel like i might be forgetting stuff so if any and, and, and pretty soon i have to take you back to this conference that you came into town for which is why i snapped you up so that you could do this so um so i guess we're out of, of time because i have to get you there <laughs> nothing else <laughs> And, um, and yeah, so just to, to reiterate, guys, if you have additional questions or you feel like there is stuff that wasn't addressed, um, we absolutely will uh, we'll pick it up after this podcast with you in some other form. Um, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time on Thanks, the guys.
As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.